Happy spooky season, ParCast listeners. I'm Molly from Conspiracy Theories. And I'm Carter. In honor of Halloween, we're inviting you to light a torch and descend into the tombs of ancient Egypt's most prolific figures, as ParCast brings you a network-wide event called The Mummy's Curse. We'll be dusting off cobwebs and cracking open the coffins on five different shows. From conspiracy theories and haunted places to unsolved murders, unexplained mysteries, and rituals, we're excited to bring you history's spookiest and most adventurous tales. Ever wonder what happened to Nefertiti's lost tomb? Curious about King Tut's mysterious life and death? Want to explore Cairo's most haunted mansion or crack open the Book of the Dead? We're going to make like a mummy and unravel it all. In this first episode of the event, we're exploring part one of the Curse of the Pharaohs. After King Tut's tomb was discovered in the 1920s, a series of tragic events plagued some who entered. Now, strap on your boots and grab your shovels because we're about to dig in. Lord Carnarvon's heart beat wildly in his chest as sweat dripped down his forehead. He looked around the room at his team of excavators, beaming with excitement. They were joined by the world's foremost Egyptologists, as well as local authorities. Carnarvon had poured his heart, soul, and money into this mission over the last few years. Now, on February 17, 1923, it seemed all his hard work would finally pay off. They were going to enter King Tutankhamun's burial chamber. Carnarvon watched as his chief archaeologist, Howard Carter, cleared the entryway. The Lord could hardly wait. But Carter knew they had to proceed with caution. One wrong move and they could damage the chamber floor. After more than three grueling hours, Carter heaved the last slab out of the way. He motioned for Carnarvon to join him. As the leaders of the expedition, it was only fair they got to enter first. The men made themselves as small as possible to carefully fit through the narrow passageway. Three thousand-year-old dust filled the air as their electric light illuminated an expansive room. Carnarvon's irises reflected the gold-covered walls. He looked around in awe, scanning the chamber until he spotted it, a glittering sarcophagus propped up in the center. He clapped Carter on the back and let out a yell of excitement. They'd done it. This was the pinnacle of their careers, maybe their entire lives. But it wouldn't remain that way for long. Within two months, one of those men would be dead, becoming the first victim of the Curse of the Pharaohs. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. 
This is our first episode on the curse of the pharaohs. In 1922, a team of excavators unsealed King Tutankhamun's tomb. They got the fame and fortune they desired, but they may have unleashed a dark curse in the process. This time, we'll follow two members of the expedition, Howard Carter and Lord Carnarvon, as they search for prosperity in the Valley of the Kings. Then, we'll look at the discovery that changed their lives forever. Next time, we'll investigate whether some Egyptologists really fell prey to ancient magic. Some believe those who disturb sacred tombs really do pay the price as they're saddled with a deadly curse. But others think there's another, more scientific explanation. Perhaps the victims were poisoned by the ancient Egyptians themselves. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Viore. Give the active people in your life something they'll truly appreciate. Performance apparel from Viore. Whether they're into running, surfing, hiking, or even just casual walks around the block, there's something for everyone. And if you're not sure what to gift them, you can't go wrong with something from Viore's Dream Knit collection. It's the perfect gift and so comfortable. Get 20% off your first purchase today at Viore. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Spotify. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the deal. It go down. It go down in the deal. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Hordes of excited Londoners streamed into a theater near Piccadilly Circus in 1821. They had tickets to the best show in town and couldn't wait to see the performance for themselves. The audience crowded around the stage, straining to get a better look. Their eyes went wide as they registered the cloth-covered figure on the platform before them. Next, the moderator emerged, quieting the murmurs of the crowd. He, along with two assistants, began to slowly unfurl the mummy. The onlookers let out a collective gasp as the wraps fell to the floor, revealing a preserved corpse. It was as if the showgoers had been transported some 2,500 miles away, from the busy streets of London to the towering pyramids of Egypt. For some, it might have seemed like the unmoving body before them was caught 
between life and death. One possible attendee, 25-year-old author Jane Webb Loudon, could have been so captivated by the performance that she decided to do her own research on Egyptian burials. As she learned more about the ancient Egyptians and their view of the afterlife, she might have wondered if the show had unintended consequences. Perhaps the body was never supposed to be taken from its final resting place. Six years after that performance, Loudon released a novel called The Mummy. The book followed an Egyptian corpse that came back to life with murderous intentions. The story captured the imagination of thousands, and soon all of England had mummy fever. Over the next few decades, several authors became inspired by Webb's tale. They shared similar stories of reanimated mummies seeking revenge on those who disturbed them. Even Louisa May Alcott, author of Little Women, joined the fad, penning an 1869 short story called Lost in a Pyramid. To some readers, these accounts were more than entertainment. They believed them to be true. Meanwhile, others dismissed the claims as pure fiction. Howard Carter was one of them. In 1891, 17-year-old Carter traveled from England to various archaeological sites, including what was once the ancient Egyptian city of Thebes. He was there to record inscriptions and draw images of the sculptures. The more time he spent in the region, the more he found himself gravitating towards archaeology. He dove in headfirst and quickly gained a reputation as a hard worker, a diligent note-taker, and an all-around expert on ancient Egypt. Before long, Carter was running his own excavations. He spent most of his time in the Valley of the Kings, a burial site outside of Luxor, formerly known as Thebes, reserved for Egyptian pharaohs and high-ranking officials. Then, in 1903, the 20-something made his first major discovery, the tomb of Thutmose IV, a king from the 18th dynasty, The find was over 3,000 years old. Carter's brilliance was matched only by his temper. In 1905, he was working near the burial vaults of Saqqara when he spotted a group of drunk tourists fighting with the guards. He ejected them from the grounds, and when the tourists complained, Carter refused to apologize. Instead, he resigned from his post at the Egyptian Antiquities Department sending his career in another direction. Four months after his departure, he made ends meet by selling personal artwork and flipping antiques, but he dreamed of returning to the Valley of the Kings. Unfortunately, the money he earned wasn't enough to finance a trip, although his luck started to change in 1907. A fellow archaeologist introduced Carter to an Englishman who had a burgeoning interest in lost tombs, His name was George Edward Stanup Molyneux Herbert, the fifth Earl of Carnarvon. Luckily for us, he just went by Lord Carnarvon. The men shared a deep sense of ambition and curiosity, as well as great mustaches. But unlike Carter, Carnarvon had the money to finance his passion projects, and he was skilled at getting his hands on new inventions. In fact, that's how fate brought Carnarvon and Carter together in the first place. Around the turn of the 20th century, a few years prior to their introduction, 
Carnarvon purchased a cutting-edge machine called an automobile. Ever the thrill-seeker, he ordered his chauffeur to go as fast as 20 miles an hour. To pedestrians, it must have seemed like they were traveling at warp speed. But eventually, Carnarvon's reckless behavior caught up to him. While driving in Germany, his chauffeur swerved to avoid an oncoming oxen cart and went crashing over a hill. Carnarvon escaped with his life, but damaged his lungs, crushed his skull, and injured his jaw in the process. The extensive injuries ravaged Carnarvon's immune system, leaving the 35-year-old too weak to survive the harsh English winter. His doctor advised him to travel to warmer climates. So, in 1903, Carnarvon started to spend his winter months in Egypt, taking in the sun. Although he'd been instructed to rest, he wasn't one to waste a day away. Before long, the country's archaeological wonders caught his attention. Particularly the burial grounds. With boatloads of money at his disposal and nothing to do, Carnarvon hired a team of workers to dig for ancient tombs and artifacts. Every day, he and his wife ventured to the various excavation sites. There, they observed behind the protection of a screened cage, away from the pesky bugs. But after six weeks of digging, all they witnessed was the discovery of a mummified cat. Still, this excited Carnarvon. He took it as a sign he was doing something right, and he wanted more. What started off as a way to pass the time became a real passion. Carnarvon wondered what else lurked beneath the sand. Perhaps he would be the man to find the ancient world's most valuable treasures. As motivated as he was, the Lord accepted that he knew very little about Egyptology. He sought an expert to lead his future excavations, which is exactly how he came to meet Howard Carter. United by their desire for greatness, the men hit it off right away. They knew if they found the right tomb, their lives could change overnight. Today, Egyptian artifacts can be worth millions of dollars. Even minor finds like a single bead can be sold for hundreds of dollars each. The tomb of a commoner, if filled with these items, could equal a small fortune on its own. But the final resting place of a king? Well, those profits would be incalculable. So in 1907, Carter and Carnarvon went on the hunt for one of those rare finds. It didn't take them long to locate the tomb of Tedeke, an 18th dynasty mayor of Thebes. Over the next few years, they made several additional discoveries. However, none were of high-profile people. That is, until 1914. That's when they stumbled upon the final resting place of a king and his mother. Pieces of inscribed vessels and a blue ceramic heart scarab were found in the chamber. However, the two most important items were missing, the mummies. Ancient architects often filled tomb passageways with stones and other debris to discourage people from breaking in, but their methods weren't foolproof. The region was crawling with grave robbers, and it seemed they'd beaten Carter and Carnarvon to the punch, at least this time. Still, the discovery energized the duo. They'd set out to find a royal tomb, and they'd succeeded. Just as they escalated their efforts, though, disaster struck. World War I broke out in 1916. 
Carnarvon had to remain in England because of travel restrictions, while Carter spent his days as a diplomatic courier in Egypt. There wasn't a lot of time for digging, but he made the most of it. Still, the artifacts he did find didn't carry much value. After the war ended, Lord Carnarvon had trouble justifying the exorbitant cost of the excursions. He simply wasn't seeing a return on his investment. So, at the beginning of 1922, he summoned Carter to his sprawling Hampshire home to break the news in person. Carnarvon felt Carter's disappointment when he told him he was pulling his funding, but Carter had a feeling this was coming, so he made a proposition. He offered to personally finance one more excavation in the Valley of the Kings. If they discovered anything valuable, it would belong to Lord Carnarvon. Carter knew they were close to finding something big. He'd been searching the valley for over two decades, and now just a small portion remained unexplored. He was willing to bet everything they'd strike it rich somewhere in the area. The Lord, so impressed with Carter's dedication, agreed to fund one more season from his pocket. So, Carter began the long journey back to Egypt, already thinking about the work ahead. His career and his reputation depended on this dig, and he was determined to succeed, no matter what the cost. Coming up, the secret tomb in the sand. The floorboards creak. The walls, they moan. The house seems vacant, but... You're not alone. This October, Parcast invites you to celebrate the spookiness of the Halloween season with all new episodes of Haunted Places. From an infamous murder farm in Indiana to the ghostly tombs and palaces of ancient Egypt, visit the world's most haunted destinations and find out what happens when a soul leaves the body but doesn't leave the grounds. Enjoy new episodes of Haunted Places all month long, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Viore. Give the active people in your life something they'll truly appreciate. Performance apparel from Viore. Whether they're into running, surfing, hiking, or even just casual walks around the block, there's something for everyone. And if you're not sure what to gift them, you can't go wrong with something from Viore's Dream Knit Collection. It's the perfect gift and so comfortable. Get 20% off your first purchase today at Viore. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Spotify. Now back to the story. In November 1922, archaeologist Howard Carter and his team scoured the Valley of the Kings in Egypt, determined to find a royal tomb. Carter's financier, Lord Carnarvon, had agreed to sponsor one final mission. As Carter later described in his book, The Tomb of Tutankhamun, the sun pounded their backs as he and his staff shoveled away. The work was slow, and they weren't coming up with much besides handfuls of sand. It was hard not to feel discouraged, but Carter had vowed to give this expedition his all. On day four, he arrived at the site, ready to hit the ground running. However, it seemed like no one else was working. Puzzled, Carter approached one of his employees and asked what was going on. The excavator explained they discovered a man-made cut in the rock before he arrived. Carter's eyes lit up. 
That meant there was something down below. He and his team spent that day and the next clearing away dirt and sand. They moved as fast as their shovels allowed. Eventually, they hit on something solid. It appeared to be a step, then another, and another. Carter stared down in amazement. They'd found a staircase leading directly into the earth, which could only mean one thing. They'd located a tomb. They muscled on, digging deeper. Finally, around sunset, their shovels struck something that felt different than before. They brushed away the sand to reveal a plastered mud-brick entryway. Sweat streamed down Carter's face as he ran his hands over the door. He was searching for an inscription or anything that could tell him who lay beyond the barrier. After several minutes, he identified a royal seal. Whoever was buried inside must have been important, perhaps a noble or high-ranking citizen. Either way, the contents were definitely valuable. Carter carefully drilled a peephole in the mud-brick door and inserted an electric torch through the opening. He peered inside to find rubble and heavy stones filling the passageway. He cried out in excitement. It appeared the chamber hadn't been plundered yet. Carter went home that evening elated. In the morning, he sent a cable to Lord Carnarvon in England to tell him the good news. Thrilled, he told Carter he'd head to Egypt as soon as possible. Meanwhile, Carter's men began the arduous task of clearing the doorway. It took two full weeks to remove the rubble, but on November 24th, they were just about finished. Carnarvon had arrived just in time to watch the workers brush away the last of the debris around the doorway. He examined the seal's edges. This time, he found more than a royal seal. He discovered a name, Tutankhamun. He did a double take. If what he was reading was true, then this tomb wasn't home to just any wealthy citizen. It housed an Egyptian king. By 1922, most tombs belonging to kings had already been discovered. So if Tutankhamun's sarcophagus and body were intact, this would be huge news. More than anything, Carter wanted to be the person to make that discovery. But as he peered closer at the door, his elation turned to dread. It had been resealed. It appeared grave diggers beat him to it after all. They must have removed the rubble from the passageway, gone inside, and replaced it on their way out. Carter and Carnarvon shared a look of concern. Maybe their excitement had been premature. Still, there was only one way to find out just how far the thieves had gotten. The following day, their team unsealed the door. More debris lay ahead of them. They repeated the arduous process of emptying the passage. After about a day of work, they came upon a second portal. It had the identical royal seal and markings of Tutankhamun. And like the previous door, it had been resealed. This didn't bode well for the expedition. Carter ordered the workers out of the passageway. His hands trembled as he carved a hole in the door. Once it was big enough, he maneuvered his candle through the void. The flame flickered as his vision adjusted. After a few moments, the room and its contents came into view. Carter froze in shock. Carnarvon asked if he could see anything. Carter whispered back, Yes, 
wonderful things. Everywhere he looked, he saw gold. There were also paintings of animals, huge statues, and gilded artifacts. It was like the inside of a treasure chest. Carter chipped away at the peephole until it was wide enough for him to crawl through. Carnarvon followed close behind. They feasted their eyes on the riches before them. They moved about as if in a trance. They were careful not to touch a thing, fearful it might vanish into dust like a fading mirage. But this was no illusion. The items in that room could fill an entire museum. It was the most significant discovery of their lives, and quite possibly, the history of Egyptology. As they basked in the glory of their achievement, a door at the back of the chamber caught Carter's attention. Two massive statues of Tutankhamun flanked the entryway, as if warning the men not to enter. Carter rushed forward, steering clear of the priceless objects smattering the floor. He knew this must be the entrance to the burial chamber, the room that housed the most coveted artifact of all, King Tutankhamun himself. The two men stood in front of the door, scanning it from head to toe. That's when they saw it, a small hole. The men looked at each other in confusion. It was strange. If someone had been here before, it appeared they left the antechamber mostly untouched. At the time, Carter wondered if the robbers only took what they could carry, a few small objects here and there. Then again, perhaps someone or something had forced them out in a rush. Unfortunately for the men, they'd have to remove everything from the antechamber before they could pry open the doors to the sacred burial room. That included cataloging the objects one by one, which could take weeks, if not months. But the excavators didn't have the patience to wait that long. While the details are slim, it's believed that after the antechamber was opened, Carter, Carnarvon, and two others snuck back in at night. It was pitch black inside the tomb. The only source of light was the faint glow of Carter's electric torch. So far underground, the only thing they could hear was the sound of their own breathing. Once they returned to the ominous door to the burial chamber, Carter expertly enlarged a hole to get a view inside King Tut's chamber. He and Carnarvon took a moment to collect themselves, then they peered through. Like the room where they stood, the chamber was filled with precious statues and artifacts, but one object stole their breath away. King Tutankhamun's massive golden shrine, which held his sarcophagus inside, stood in the center, grand and imposing. The two men were speechless. It was everything they'd ever dreamed of and more. Most importantly, the seals appeared to be intact. This meant King Tutankhamun's body was likely still inside. The men shook hands and swore each other to secrecy. They wouldn't tell anyone else they'd snuck a peek inside the chamber. But the damage may have already been done. The moment they stepped foot in the tomb, Carter and Carnarvon had possibly awakened an ancient magic. And they were about to pay the price. Coming up, King Tut takes revenge. Now, back to the story. 
1922, Howard Carter and his team of excavators worked day and night, cataloging the bottomless trove of artifacts in King Tutankhamun's tomb. They vowed to account for every item in the room before they unsealed his burial chamber. The items included food trays and vases, jewelry, and the remains of ancient chariots. But most exciting of all may have been his throne. The wooden seat was gilded with a layer of gold. A drawing on the back of the chair showed the king and his wife. She appeared to be tending to him, perhaps a clue to his cause of death. The team moved about the room recording each object before making the long journey back to the outside world. The work was slow and meticulous. The artifacts were incredibly fragile, and it was nearly impossible to move one without damaging another. It took several months to empty the chamber, but when they did, Carter and Carnarvon must have been elated. They could finally share their secret with the rest of the world. And now, they could finally access the elusive burial chamber. On February 17, 1923, the men welcomed the world's foremost Egyptologists and local authorities to King Tutankhamun's tomb. All told, more than 20 people were there to see the pharaoh. They'd be the first to see the burial chamber opened in three millennia. Carter stood before the entrance, giddy with excitement. He, Carnarvon, and one other excavator broke open the doorway and entered the cramped tomb. Like the antechamber, the entire space was gilded and breathtaking. After some time surveying the room, the men zeroed in on the imposing shrine taking up most of the space. They were able to breach the shrine's many layers thanks to a set of swinging doors installed on the side, bolted and sealed. Just beyond the doors, there was King Tut's sarcophagus itself. The imposing chest was made of solid gold and carved into the shape of the king. He wore his royal headdress adorned with a menacing cobra. But Carter didn't get to see it that day. He stared at the series of doors, his hands hovering above the next lock. As much as he wanted to, he couldn't bring himself to go any further. The reality of what he and Carnarvon were doing finally seemed to hit him. Suddenly, he felt strange about disturbing an ancient, powerful mummy. Even if he didn't believe in the supernatural, he felt as though some unrecognizable force was trying to stop him. Eventually, Carter reclosed the doors and moved on to explore more of the burial chamber, leaving the shrine to be fully opened in the coming months. The next few weeks were an excited blur. Carter and Carnarvon were inundated with interview requests. Headlines about their discovery plastered the front of newspapers around the world. Before long, King Tut became a household name, and so did the men who found his tomb. Carnarvon became known as the wealthy English lord who went from hobby Egyptologist to financier of the world's most precious treasure. And Howard Carter earned the prestige he'd always sought. Many experts declared him one of the greatest, if not the greatest, archaeologists who ever lived. It seemed like both men had achieved their wildest dreams. Overwhelmed by the attention, the men took a short holiday. Carter stayed in Luxor, while Carnarvon sailed to the southeast part of Egypt. However, things took a turn during Carnarvon's trip. 
A mosquito bit him on the cheek, and while the bite eventually scabbed over, he later nicked the spot while shaving. It split open, and the wound grew infected. Ever since his automobile accident two decades prior, the Lord's immune system was unusually weak. He stayed bedridden as he waited for the infection to pass, but it was no use. A short while later, he was diagnosed with pneumonia. By April 1923, less than two months after entering the burial chamber, he felt the end rapidly approaching. He said, quote, I have heard the call. I am preparing. A few days later, Lord Carnarvon died. According to some reports, a citywide blackout rocked Cairo the moment he passed. Others said his dog in England howled and dropped dead in the same instant. Around the same time, English novelist Marie Corelli issued a warning. Anyone who broke into a sealed tomb would experience the most dire consequences. Corelli mostly wrote melodramatic romance and had no expertise in Egyptology. It seemed her interest in the subject was piqued when King Tut's discovery hit the press. Even so, the public hung on her every word. Soon, a new theory dominated the news cycle. Carnarvon had been afflicted by the curse of the mummy. Some of the times leading thinkers supported this seemingly outlandish argument. Arthur Conan Doyle, author of the Sherlock Holmes series, insisted Carnarvon's death was caused by an evil spirit that was unleashed when he entered King Tut's tomb. Still, others likely dismissed these claims outright. After all, it probably sounded absurd that an ancient curse was to blame for Carnarvon's demise. Except it wasn't just Lord Carnarvon. Sir Archibald Douglas Reed, who was supposed to x-ray King Tut's corpse, grew sick and died before examining the pharaoh's body. Just after the tomb was opened to the public, a wealthy American railroad magnate named George J. Gould visited the burial site. Within days, he developed pneumonia. Months later, he was also dead. In 1924, Hugh Evelyn White, an archaeologist who visited the tomb, claimed to feel dark magic sweep over him. He died by suicide not long after. He left behind a note written in his own blood that said, quote, I have succumbed to a curse which forces me to disappear. Even those simply associated with the burial site began to experience disaster. After Carter excavated the tomb, he gifted his friend a one-of-a-kind paperweight. Inside the glass orb was a mummified hand with an inscription that supposedly read, Cursed be he who moves my body. Shortly after opening the package, the man's house burned down. He rebuilt it, only to see it destroyed again by a massive flood. From there, fire seemed to follow Carter and Carnarvon's associates. In 1929, Lord Carnarvon's secretary was found smothered to death in a gentleman's club. Following his demise, his house was set ablaze. Several artifacts from the tomb perished with it. Around this time, an American Egyptologist who was close with Carter and Carnarvon also faced the curse's wrath. When the researcher's house caught on fire, he sprinted back inside for the manuscript he'd been working on. He perished in the flames. 
Within a decade, six had died in connection with the tomb, and a number of them had come in direct contact with the burial chamber. Oddly enough, there was one person who remained unscathed, Howard Carter himself. He spent the next 10 years at King Tut's tomb, taking copious notes, cataloging every detail of each artifact. He finally finished in 1932. He enjoyed the final years of his life as a museum collector and a touring lecturer. While others suffered through fires and freak accidents, Carter passed away from natural causes. He died of lymphoma in 1939 at the age of 64. For years after his death, the archaeological community debated whether Tutankhamun's mummy should join Carter's body in England or stay in his home country of Egypt. In the end, officials decided to leave the corpse in its tomb and most of the artifacts in the Cairo Museum. Perhaps they wanted to avoid angering King Tut any further. But it was too late. The curse of the pharaohs was alive and well. Next time, we'll explore two conspiracy theories surrounding Tutankhamun's tomb and the mysterious deaths that came after its discovery. Like conspiracy theory number one, the curse exists. When Carter and his team entered the tomb, they meddled with dark forces, and this magic exacted its revenge on the treasure hunters and their associates. Or conspiracy theory number two, there's a scientific explanation for the curse. The ancient Egyptians unintentionally laid a trap for would-be robbers, lacing the tomb with poison. The discovery of King Tut's tomb was one of the greatest archaeological achievements in modern history. But by disturbing the former king, the excavators may have unleashed an untold evil onto the world. One that couldn't be stopped. Thanks for tuning in to this episode from The Mummy's Curse, brought to you by Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast. For part two of The Curse of the Pharaohs, tune in next time on Conspiracy Theories. To experience more episodes from The Mummy's Curse, be sure to listen to our other shows, Unexplained Mysteries, Rituals, Haunted Places, and Unsolved Murders. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all of their Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. For more information on King Tut's tomb, amongst the many sources we used, we found Nicholas Reeves' The Complete Tutankhamun extremely helpful to our research. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Juan Vorda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Alex Bernard, edited by Natalie Pertsovsky and Lori Gottlieb, fact-checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Bradley Klein, and produced by Bruce Kitovich. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. 